Welcome to CTSNet to Go, bringing your discussions about the most relevant topics in cardiothoracic surgery. The Cardiothoracic Surgery Network, known as CTSNet, aims to connect the global cardiothoracic surgical community through communication, collaboration, education, and interaction among cardiothoracic surgeons and their teams across the globe. Learn more at ctsnet.org. My name is Shanda Blackman, and I'm just one of the hosts of CTS Net to Go. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the series of Giants of Cardiothoracic Surgery. My name is Leanne Harling, and I'm here at the SCTS in Birmingham with Dr. Doug Matheson. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Dr. Matheson is Chief of Thoracic Surgery and Program Director of Thoracic Surgery at the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, USA. He is also the Hermes Grillo Professor of Surgery at Harvard Medical School. After graduating from University of Illinois College of Medicine in 1974, Dr. Matheson completed his residency at MGH in 1982. Following two years at the National Cancer Institute for Health, Dr. Matheson joined MGH Surgery Unit in 1984, where he has been Chief of Thoracic Surgery since 1994. Dr. Matheson has held significant leadership positions in most cardiothoracic surgical organizations, including being president of the Society for Thoracic Surgery from between 2010 and 2011, and as a member of the Council of the European Association for Thoracic Surgery. He's also been the recipient of a numerous number of awards, including being named one of Boston's top doctors for Boston Magazine by 2012 and 2013. Most recently, he has received the 2014 Distinguished Service Award for from the Society of Thoracic Surgeons and the 2013 Honorary Member of the European Society of Thoracic Surgeons. In addition to a very distinguished clinical career, Dr. Matheson is Deputy Editor of the Annals of Thoracic Surgery and himself has published over 350 articles and book chapters. He is also heavily involved in surgical education as well as his role as Professor of Surgery at Harvard, he currently holds chairs in the Joint Council of Thoracic Surgical Education. Professor Matheson, it's a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you very much for joining Thank us. Thank you. So, I mean, to give a very brief synopsis of such a fantastic career, tell us how you've seen the specialty change over those three decades that you've been in thoracic surgery. Well, I've been very fortunate. Uh, I'm going to make a quote that uh, I think... Uh, it always reminds me of my good fortune. Uh, Warren Buffett, who's a famous investor in the United States, was once asked at the Columbia Business School his keys to success. He said, join a great company and find a great uh, boss to work for. I've been very fortunate. I uh, worked at the Massachusetts General Hospital, which is a great company or hospital, and I had the good fortune of working with Hermes Grillo, who was a great boss or mentor. And uh, those two provided me numerous opportunities. Uh, and uh, I, I give the credit uh, to uh, the, the institution and to Dr. Grillo for all that uh, I've been able to do over the years. Um, the changes have been uh, uh, quite numerous uh, over the time. When I first started, there were very few people who were interested in general thoracic surgery. The specialty had really swung heavily towards cardiac surgery. That's really where all of the new things uh, were being developed and it uh, captured a lot of interest. So one of the most important things has been a resurgence of interest in general thoracic surgery. And it uh, went from just a handful of people interested to now where um, most, more than half, I think, of those who go into the field go into general thoracic surgery. The other development, which has been slower, but now we're starting to see the, the uh, fruits of everyone's energies and efforts, uh, is the uh, 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 increased interest in uh, the specialty, both in cardiac and thoracic, in women. Uh, this was something that 
we struggled with for many, many years, uh, trying in the USA to uh, figure out ways to attract women into the specialty, and it has slowly started to occur. occur. And I think, uh, in large measure, uh, as more women went into surgery, uh, sort of they developed a critical mass, and then many of them saw the benefits of cardiothoracic surgery careers, and we're fortunate the numbers are starting to increase. Excellent. Yeah, we're trying to yeah. slowly work yeah. our way yeah. in there. And with such a vast experience, what do you think are the landmarks that you've seen um, progress during your career? Well, uh, uh, they have been numerous. Uh, some have been the uh, uh, use of uh, chemotherapy and radiotherapy, which uh, when I started was uh, really uh, in its infancy. I had the good fortune of working for a brief period of time in Chicago with a group that really was the first group to use neoadjuvant therapy for uh, thoracic malignancies. And uh, when I returned to Mass General, that is something I brought back with me, and it's something that became an integral part of our activities at Mass General. So that is something which has been an important development. Uh, it's now kind of standard practice uh, throughout the world to use neoadjuvant therapy, a combination of uh, chemotherapy and radiotherapy. Um, I would say uh, uh, probably uh, in, in recent uh, memory, it's the uh, use of uh, uh, high technology, of uh, uh, VATS, lobectomies, uh, uh, minimally invasive surgery, uh, the incorporation of uh, uh, things from other specialties, uh, radiofrequency ablation to treat tumors. Uh, so there's, there's been a number. Most have come from collaboration, uh, the integration of other specialties in our specialty. It's hard to imagine a world without chemoradiotherapy. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and one of your, your key um, clinical work revolves around large thoracic resections, tracheal resections. Um, I thought well, perhaps we could focus a little bit on tracheal resections because it's something that we haven't mm -hmm. yet covered. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think are the key considerations for tracheal resection, benign and malignant disease? Mm. Well, first is to have a, a, a firm understanding of the anatomy, uh, to understand the limits of resection, to understand the techniques uh, of uh, surgical uh, uh, resection, understanding uh, ways in which you can reduce uh, tension, preserve blood supply. Those are sort of the two keys to successful outcomes. Um, the differences between benign and malignant uh, aren't as much as you might think. I mean, the same principles of surgery apply. In uh, uh, malignant disease, you're more interested in uh, a local invasion of extension of tumor. The tissues of the trachea are normal, it's just that they have a malignant tumor. Whereas in uh, benign disease, you're not dealing with uh, malignancy, but you're dealing with damaged tissues. And so it's a, it's a different uh, kind of biology, if you will. But the principles of surgery are the same. Uh, it's uh, resecting back to normal tissue, knowing how to put things together and doing it in such a way that you don't have tension on the anastomosis. And clearly tracheal surgery requires a very dedicated team and it's not just about the, the surgeon but about the anesthesiology support, the oncology support. What do you think are the key aspects of that teamwork? That yeah. Well, like, like anything in surgery, it's a team sport and uh, probably in airway surgery more than most, uh, it requires a careful working relationship with the anesthesiologist. They, they have a, an important role to play. Um, and so you have to have a team uh, that's dedicated, who understand the principles, have um, you know, multiple ways in which they can manage the airway uh, at uh, you know, being available. Uh, so it's, a, it's an experienced team. It's nurses. It's uh, you know, people in the ICU, the post-operative care, nurses on the floor. 
they're all integral to getting a good outcome and a successful uh, uh, result. And as far as oncology support mm. for your, your patients? Well, um, I would say that uh, obviously for benign disease, uh, you don't need oncology. Uh, most tracheal tumors uh, don't require uh, medical oncology. Uh, we do use uh, radiotherapy in some of the tumors uh, postoperatively. Um, so they have an important role to play there. It's also important that they understand the principles of wound healing and when to uh, initiate the therapy and not to do it too soon or take it to such a high dose that it uh, damages the outcome because they're radiating the tissues that are left behind that uh, have to survive and uh, function for many years. Yeah. And your, um, what are your tips for achieving that complication-free post-operative period? Um, you talked about tension-free anastomosis and well, uh, again, uh, uh, the way to avoid uh, complications is preparation. So you think about the problem, you evaluate it thoroughly, uh, endoscopic measurements, understanding the limits of resection, uh, knowing uh, the technique, uh, having precise, gentle technique when you do the surgery, uh, critically important. Dr. Grillo always said that every stitch had to be right, and that was true for the anastomosis as it was uh, closing the skin. And so if you've put uh, something in and it doesn't look right, you take it out and do it so that you're satisfied with it. Um, you mentioned the uh, uh, reduction of tension at the end of the procedure, very important, probably the most important aspect. So understanding how to achieve a tension-free anastomosis. Uh, I tend to cover every anastomosis, buttress it with local muscle tissue as a sort of a buttress uh, potentially helping in uh, uh, healing. Um, and then, uh, you know, making certain that you don't get wound infections and irrigating the wound. You oftentimes have an open airway, so, you know, the, the field is somewhat contaminated. So uh, you want to pay attention to all these little details. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say that, like most surgery, uh, success comes from paying attention to the, uh, uh, all the little details. It's an accumulation of paying attention to little details to get a successful outcome. And there, are there any little details in the postoperative uh, phase that you think are sure. important? Sure, yeah. Well, again, uh, we keep somebody in flexion with their neck down for a week to reduce uh, tension or the tendency to pull in that anastomosis. Some people, uh, I think, don't think it's necessary. I do it on every patient. Uh, I've had good results, and I don't want to change that. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, you know, you keep them in flexion for a week. The patients understand it. Uh, once they understand it, it's something that they don't object to. Um, um, uh, then the rest is just depends. I mean, if it's a very high resection, you worry more about swelling. Uh, I typically have people rest their voice so that they don't get vocal cord swelling. Swelling is one of those things uh, you don't have a lot of control over it, so you want to avoid it at all costs. Uh, and then the rest of it is, um, you know, if they need uh, uh, assistance, if they're having trouble, you can uh, use Heliox, for example. Sometimes that makes a, a patient who's having a little trouble makes it easier for them to breathe. It's a thinner mixture than just room air or oxygen. So there are a few things, but mostly it's doing the operation right. Um, uh, if you do it right, then the post-operative care is pretty straightforward. And, you, and your nursing support, you have a dedicated yeah. oh, team? Oh, yes. Do we have a dedicated team? They go to the same ICU. They go to the same floor. The nurses are uh, very experienced in taking care of the patients and getting them through the post-operative phase. They're integral to that. We have a lot of residents and mid-level providers, so it's, a, it's a, as you said earlier, it's a real team that takes care of them. 
And uh, I mean, in the UK, we <coughs> tracheal surgery is a highly specific and is very dedicated to specialist centers. Is that the same? Yeah, there's a few. Uh, yeah, I think so. Not by design necessarily. I mean, it's not legislated or mandated, but I think uh, certain people take an interest in it. Mm. It's a relatively uncommon procedure to do. Uh, tracheal uh, pathology is not terribly common. So it tends to be concentrated in a few centers who have a specific interest. And I think in those unusual and highly technical uh, uh, areas, I think that's where centralization makes a great deal of sense. We've seen quite a lot of new technology coming into um, to thoracic surgery in general, but specifically in tracheal and airway surgery, we look at bioartificial tissues, um, stem cell scaffolds. How have you seen that? Do you use that in your practice? Yeah. Where are we with that? Yeah, I, I'd say that it has had somewhat of a rocky course. Uh, 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 if you think of all the airway substitutes that have been tried over the years, uh, they're, they're numerous. And, they're, and they're usually when there are numerous things that people have tried, it's because nothing really yeah. works. And I think that's still true of uh, some of the newer things, the regenerative medicine approaches to uh, airway substitutes while you could achieve short-term results. Uh, this is something where you need to have long-term results. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fair to say that uh, that's still an evolution. It holds great promise, uh, but I don't think it's there as a standard treatment. Uh, I think uh, maybe some of the troubles have been that it hasn't been thoroughly vetted in the uh, laboratory to understand all of the issues. I mean, it still has issues of uh, vascularization. It has issue, issues of durability uh, and uh, uh, compatibility of the, of the substitute with the surrounding tissue. So there's still challenges. It's interesting, exciting uh, uh, science. Uh, and I think it does hold promise. It certainly has some application in other areas. I'd say it's not quite there yet for tracheal substitutes. Haven't quite managed to translate it into clinical practice. Not, not quite yet, yeah. And we, moving a little bit away from tracheal resection specifically, but um, we've also seen, you mentioned a lot of minimally invasive technology um, integrating into thoracic surgery. How, uh, what do you feel about the integration of uh, VAT surgery? How does that fit with day-to-day um, -day thoracic surgical practice? Mm -hmm. Well, it's become, uh, you know, I, I'd say it's probably the thing that has uh, transformed the specialty more than anything else. Uh, I've seen the evolution from when it was first introduced. It was somewhat crude, uh, uh, big clamps across the hilum of uh, lobes or lungs, uh, which uh, seemed to be a return to surgery uh, in the 1930s when the thoracic surgery first started, uh, and all of the attendant complications from that kind of an approach to now a very elegant uh, dissection, much uh, an anatomic approach to the problem, and uh, the things that people can do uh, continues to expand almost every month. There's some new application or approach uh, using these minimally invasive techniques, and I think you know there's great hope for the future that this will continue to expand as people uh, get more experience with it. And VATS in tracheal surgery, uh, hybrid approaches, how? Yeah. Uh... Well, again, uh, most tracheal surgery is done in the neck, mm -hmm. uh, so therefore, you know, minimally invasive uh, uh, approaches aren't necessarily uh, appropriate. Uh, there have been, even at this meeting, some who have uh, shown the ability to do carino resections mm -hmm. through a VATS technique. It's pretty impressive that people can do that. Uh, so I think as people, again, uh, push the field, uh, push the envelope, uh, there'll be uh, uh, more and more applications of it. And I think we're just starting to see, uh, you know, scratch the surface of that. Yeah. We talked a little bit yesterday about um, the 
pushing the boundaries of resection. I mean, you've, you've, your vast experience, you've probably seen pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel now we're able to push things that much further than perhaps many years ago? that we can, now we can take out more local tumor. What do you think are the most important things in considering yeah. who we operate on? Yeah, well, I mean, there's sort of two ways to look at it. Uh, one is from the uh, oncology standpoint, the uh, uh, potential that uh, medical oncology and radiotherapy expand uh, indications for surgery uh, as they develop uh, better drugs and better uh, techniques. Uh, things which previously were unresectable are gonna become resectable. Uh, people who had uh, Extensive disease uh, will now respond to uh, targeted therapy and maybe become candidates for surgery, which would never have been thought of in the past. And there's sort of the technical aspect. Uh, I would say, uh, um, you know, the boundaries of technical uh, uh, achievements in thoracic surgery uh, continue to be pushed. Uh, now, there, uh, I would say that the frontier is the incorporation of other specialties: plastic surgery, neurosurgery, orthopedic surgery. Um, bringing in other disciplines to take on challenging problems. We saw uh, at this meeting uh, uh, presentations where uh, part of the spine is removed and you have the uh, neurosurgeons or orthopedic surgeons involved, vascular surgeons and some of the uh, resections of tumors that involve vascular structure. So I think it's the uh, incorporation of other teams uh, bringing in uh, their expertise to some of the challenging problems that, uh, that we face that will continue to uh, expand the boundaries of thoracic surgery. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. It's been a real privilege. And, yeah, uh, thank you very much for having great. me. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to CTS Net to Go, your resource for podcasts focusing on cardiothoracic surgery. Find more discussions as well as surgical videos and other cardiothoracic surgery resources at ctsnet.org. You can also keep up with CTS Net by subscribing to the YouTube channel at CTSNet Video by following at CTSNet.org on Twitter or by liking CTSNet's page on Facebook. I'm Shanda Blackman. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of CTSNet to Go. Have a great day.